Hello, my name is Nick Long. I'm Curator of Astronomy here at Sydney Observatory. This is an audio guide for the months of May 2008. You can obtain this audio guide together with a transcript and a printable star map from the Sydney Observatory blog, which is at www.sydneyobservatory.com blog. You can just listen to the audio guide, but it is preferable to use it together with a printer star map. This, the audio guide is available from the blog, or you can obtain it in the Sydney Observatory Australian 2008 Sky Guide. More details at the end of the Sky Guide. Now, to get the best uh, out of the audio guide, you need to know the cardinal direction. So you need to, as you settle down outside, um, away from lights, know which way is north, east, west and south because uh, you need these directions to be able to know which direction to look. To be able to use a printed sky map, it's good to have a torch which is with a red light. Now, easy easiest way to get the red light is just to put a bit of red cellophane in front of an ordinary white light torch and you can just cut out a small piece of red cellophane and uh, put it in front of a uh, ordinary white light torch with a rubber band. So once, once you've done that, settle down and uh, we'll uh, hopefully start to become familiar with the night sky. So let's uh, start the guide to the night sky in, uh, in May 2008 in, in the west where we find in the very loud down we find the planet Mercury. Uh, it's not visible early in the months and it's not visible late in the months but uh, in the middle of the months we can see the planet uh, Mercury and that's nice to look at because uh, many people have never seen the planet Mercury. They never, it never moves too far from, from the Sun which means that it's only visible in the early evenings um, if it's visible in the evenings or it's visible in the early mornings just before sunrise um, if it's visible in the mornings. It can it never be visible late at night or the middle of the night. Um, so it's a planet that it's uh, rarely seen so it's uh, good to have a look at it and it's reasonably bright, uh, very loud down in the, in the northwest. Now if you go a little way uh, above Mercury, again in the western sky, we find the constellation of Orion. It's one of the best known constellations in the night sky. It's a constellation or star pattern of stars that is uh, best uh, visible in the Australian uh, summer. In May it's still visible loud down in the west, but we will soon lose it from the evening sky. So it's Orion is lying on its side. It's a very easy constellation to recognise. There are sort of four reasonably bright stars in a rectangle and three stars in a row which represent just the belt of Orion. On the left, lower down, um, we find the brightest star in the constellation, a star named Rigel. It's a nice... Uh, Nice star to look at in a small telescope because it, uh, it's obviously a double star. Obviously there are two stars there. 
on the right of Orion, the extreme right of Orion, um, um, a little bit sort of near the top of the constellation, we find the reddish star Betelgeuse. And that's a red giant star, a star that is uh, many hundreds of times wider than our own sun. If it was uh, placed um, instead of our own sun, so if it replaced our own sun, it would engulf not just the planet Mercury, but the planets Venus, Earth, and even the planet Mars. So it is a huge object, but uh, and it is slightly cooler than our own sun. That's why it has the red red colour. But uh, it is a very interesting object. It's one of the few objects in the sky, few stars in the sky, where you can actually pick up that it's not white but has this uh, reddish colour. Now, if you extend Orion's belt upwards, we reach a very bright star, very bright object, and that's the star Sirius, the brightest star in the sky. And, and this is just a good example that Orion is very useful as a signpost. It's always become very worthwhile becoming familiar with uh, Orion because it can then be used as a stepping stone to uh, recognise other objects in the sky. So, as I said, by extending Orion's belt upwards, we reach the star Sirius, the brightest star in the sky. If we continue going towards the north, we reach the two twin stars, um, twin stars of uh, Gemini, Pollux and Castor. Now, these are two bright stars, fairly close together in the sky. Pollux is the one higher up in the sky. Castor is the one lower down. Castor is a very interesting star. Star. So this is the one which is lower down. It's a very interesting star. If you look at it through a small telescope, it's obviously a double star. There's obviously two stars there. These two stars circle around each other, take just under 500 years to, uh, to circle around each other. But if it's examined in, in great detail, then we see, astronomers can see, that there is actually a third star in the system, a faint reddish-coloured star. And then if you look at each of these three stars in more detail, and look at it through a device called a spectroscope, or, or more precisely, a spectrograph, um, a, spectro a spectroscope divides the light, up from a, from the light up from a star into its component colours, the colours of a rainbow. And, and it's a device which breaks the light up from a star um, which is placed on the telescope and records this spectrum, this uh, colours from the star, is called the spectrograph. And if you look at these stars with spectrograph, we see, we see dark lines, and these are standard in all stars, which tells us uh, the conditions in the atmosphere of the star, but it also tells us the motion of the star. And each of those three stars in, in that we can see in Castor have actually the lines are double. They, have, they are made up of two stars. So in fact, in fact, the system of Castor consists of six stars. So if you look at Castor and see one star with the unaided eye, with the naked eye, but in fact we're looking at six stars, or six stars. So that's something rather interesting to, interesting to note, that uh, you're basically getting six for the price of one. 
Castor and the, the system of Castor is at 51 light years away, so light take has, uh, has taken 51 years to reach us from Castor. Pollux, which is a little way above uh, Castor, is, uh, is 34 light years away. It's a giant, slightly reddish coloured star which gives us as much light as 35 uh, as, as 35 suns 35 so it gives us as much light as 35 times our own sun if we go further towards the north north we reach the planet mars which is a reddish colored planet it is uh, the red planet red planet mars and of course that's being studied in very great detail these days um, there's a whole fleet of space, spacecraft circling around uh, circling around the planet and studying it in very great detail and there are even two robot rovers which are moving around on its surface spirit and opportunity and which have provided a great deal of information about the geological history of the planet Mars uh, certainly there are many Interesting features which have, uh, are associated with water, and water is something that we tend to associate with life. So maybe there was some kind of primitive life forms, primitive bacteria-type life on the planet in the distant past. Um, there is no water on the surface today, so it's unlikely to be life there today, but certainly in the distant past there could have been some kind of uh, primitive life forms. If you go further along... This Looking, uh, looking almost directly due north, uh, maybe even a little way towards east. We come to the planet Saturn and it's very near to the bright star Regulus. Saturn is of course the most spectacular object in the sky to look at through a small telescope because Saturn has the beautiful rings circling around the planet. These rings, as we look at them, are getting a little bit tough thinner and thinner because we're starting to look at them more and more edge on and they'll actually disappear sometime next year the rings of Saturn will completely disappear as we will look at them edge on and Saturn as I said is near the bright star Regulus and that's uh, again an interesting object to look through a small telescope because it is a double star which you can see through a small telescope you can see that it's made up of two stars circling around around each other now if you start looking uh, sort of move from Regulus further towards the east so we're looking almost uh, due east we reach the star Spica which is the brightest star in the constellation of uh, Virgo the Maiden the way to find Spica is that above it there's a group there's a small group of uh, stars in the form of a distorted re rectangle these are the stars of Corvus the Crow. And if we find this distorted rectangle in the sky and we sort of extend two of the stars downwards, we reach the star Spica. Spica is a double star, but it's not a, not a double star that we can see through an ordinary telescope. It can only be noticed, again, through a spectroscope or a spectrograph. As I explained earlier, the spectrograph is a device which rec records um, light being broken up into its component. And with the spectrograph, we can see that Spica is made up of two stars very close together, so we can see we cannot see them uh, separately through a 
in an ordinary telescope, but with the spectrograph uh, we can notice that they are made up of two stars close together and circling around each other every four days. One thing we can notice if um, we look at uh, very carefully through a telescope that the brightness of the star of the two stars of the, of the what appears to be one star uh, varies over those four days and the reason they're changing over four days is because the two stars are so close together that they distort each other that they're not spherical stars but they have uh, been stretched out in the, in the shape of footballs and as we look at those football shapes it's a bit different from different angles the brightness of the star changes it's a very small effect it needs to be very carefully uh, monitored but astronomers have uh, have found this uh, variation that the star does vary very slightly in brightness due to these different aspects whether we're looking at the football shape face on or we're looking at it edge on and then it appears then round then it's a little bit fainter seeing less of the star than it appears uh, a little just that fractionally fainter and what even makes that system even more interesting the brighter or the larger of the two components is also a variable star it varies in brightness by about a period of about four hours so over a period of about four hours again there's a very the few percent uh, different change in brightness and that is because the star is pulsating it's becoming bigger and smaller as uh, time goes on. The system of uh, Spica is 260 light years away, so it, uh, light has taken 260 years to reach us from uh, from Spica. So it was emitted back. It's uh, now 2008, so the light from Spica was emitted back in the 1700s, 1740s, uh, when the light from Spica was was emitted. And together, the two stars radiate as much light as uh, over more than 2,000 of our own suns. So 2,000 times the brightness of our own sun. Let's look towards the south. And in the south, we can uh, see the Southern Cross. It's uh, starting to be reasonably high up in the southeast. If you think about the Southern Cross as the hour hand of, of a clock, then in May, in the early evening, it's somewhere between 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock in position. So it's fairly high up in the southeastern sky. Below the Southern Cross are the two pointer stars, Alpha and Beta Centauri. Beta is the one which is closer to, uh, to the cross in the sky, while Alpha is the one further away, um, further away from the cross in the sky. But in fact, it's one of the closest uh, star systems uh, to the Earth. It's, in fact, it's the closest star system to the Earth, and light from Alpha Centauri has only taken four years to reach it. So the light from Alpha Centauri, which we're looking at at the moment, left Alpha Centauri in 2004, so not very long ago. While Beta Centauri is much further away, it's something like 500 light years from it light from uh, Beta Centauri left around 500 years ago, so it's around uh, the 1500s, which is uh, long before Europeans set foot on uh, in Australia, at the time that the Renaissance was happening in Italy, so it's a long, long time ago.
we can use the Southern Cross to find the brightest star in the constellation of Carina, and that is the star Canopus. And Canopus is the second brightest star in the sky after Sirius. We talked about Sirius. Sirius is, uh, is high up in the north, and it can be found by extending the belt of Orion. Um, Canopus can be found by extending the top two stars, or what are the two top stars of the Southern Cross at the moment, extended to the right towards the, towards the west, and the first bright star we come to is Canopus, the second brightest star in the sky. And we'll talk about Canopus in more detail when we have our Guide to the Night Sky for, uh, for June 2008. So that almost completes the Guide to the Night Sky in May, but I, sh but I sh will tell you that early in the month we have a meteor shower, one of the, one of the brightest meteors, meteor showers that is uh, visible, uh, visible to us in the Southern Hemisphere. And it's the meteor, meteor shower called Eta Aquarids. And this meteor shower is associated with Halley's Comet. Every year around this time, in early May, we run into a stream of particles um, that was uh, being thrown off from Halley's Comet over many thousands of years as Halley's Comet circles around the Sun. And as we run into this stream of dust particles, these dust particles hit the Earth's atmosphere and as they burn up we see a streak of light. The best chance to, to see the meteor shower is in the early morning of Tuesday the 6th of May and this year we'll have a fairly good chance as there is no moon in the sky so to brighten up the sky. So if you can find a nice dark spot in early in the morning of, uh, before sunrise of uh, Tuesday the 6th of May and uh, look in the eastern sky and uh, you should see streaks of light from Halley's Comet. That completes the guide to the night sky in uh, May 2008. Um, this podcast, this uh, guide is available from the Sydney Observatory blog site www.sydneyobservatory.com slash blog. You can also get more information about the night sky in the 2008 Australian Sky Guide available from Sydney Observatory online from the Powerhouse Museum and from good bookstores. The cost is only $16.95, though if purchased online there is also a postage cost. And uh, as the author, I, uh, I highly recommend the publication. And my name is Nick Lom, and this was the guide to Night Sky in, uh, in May 2000.